It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Pete Mazzoni with Jeremy Kate. They're the people of the shadows, barely seen and rarely heard from. Many of them living on benches during the day and in encampments during the night. They are outside, both literally and figuratively. They may struggle against unseen and untreated demons, or they may be battling against a past so scarring its wounds may never heal. Perhaps the specter of drug addiction keeps them from stepping out of the shadows and back into society. In any case, as Chambersburg grows and thrives, it also encounters a homeless population in dire need of help. On today's show, we are going to meet two people who are working to make a difference and offer that much-needed help. With us today, we have Trudy Wesley, Housing Stability Manager, SCAP Franklin County Shelter, and Craig Newcomer, Executive Director, Maranatha Ministries Incorporated. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to start with you, Trudy, if you could tell us a little bit about what you do at the housing shelter. All right. We uh, accept the homeless according to uh, the federal definition of homelessness, which is sleeping in places that's not meant for human habitation, um, people exiting institutions. Um, It's uh, quite a number of things that the federal government determines to be officially homeless. Uh, We bring them in the shelter, and it's more than emergency shelter. We also are doing a rapid rehousing program Mm -hmm. that we can assist with first month's rent security deposit Mm -hmm. to get them in housing the very first thing. that The government wants us to do a very short stay, anywhere between two weeks to a month. Mm -hmm. And uh, you address their issues after they're housed, which is where the case management comes in, home visits. It's intense. It's one-on-one. And the main goal is to keep them stable, stably housed, and address their needs after housing because it it traumatizes people less than having to stay a long time in the shelter. Mm-hmm especially for children it's a disruption of their school it affects it affects everything sure. and so that's the model that we're doing right now it's been uh going on for at least two years i think this is our second grant and there are 18 month grants okay and uh it's ongoing case management as well uh if the people want it or if they are determined to need it mm-hmm. if there's more issues involved than what's going to be a three-month, 90-day, and it's, it's finished. And about how many beds do you have? How we, many? we have 18 beds. 18 beds. And Are you full one, up right now? Or? Uh, we've had two families just discharge into housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still there. They haven't prepared to move yet, but they did acquire housing. One is the family, and now we'll be prepared to take the next off of the queue. It's a 211 queue. Uh, and what's the definition of that? That is where when you're homeless, you have to call the 211 to get into a shelter now. Or they can still walk in, and we can do a pre-application. Mm-hmm. And if we have the beds then available, uh, it's to make sure that the most needy are being served first. Sure. Uh, there's a, about a 15-minute question by the operator, and uh, that way they know how to assess a score, Mm -hmm. 
uh, it's called a VI Spadat. Okay. And uh, there's one for families. There's also one for individuals. And determining the score, the higher the score, the higher the acuity. Mm-hmm. And they need to come first so that okay. they're the ones that are first served and they're more vulnerable. And you just keep going down the list. Sure, sure. Okay. Let's uh, go over to you, Craig, if you could tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Maranatha Ministries. Okay, so Maranatha Ministries is an umbrella company, and the Maranatha Ministries umbrella <coughs> oversees the cold weather drop-in shelter, uh, Maranatha Food Pantry, uh, Candle Heart, which is a life recovery program, and we also oversee Homeless Matters, which is the school district. Trudy was talking earlier about the uh, HUD definition of homelessness. Under the McKinney-Vento Act, it's completely different that somebody that is actually living in a hotel is considered homeless. Okay. Under the HUD definitions, because they're paying for the hotel, they're not. That doesn't define them as being homeless. What are these definitions? I would like to hear. I'd, I'd like to understand. You know, when someone comes to you, what definitions are you reaching towards to kind of understand their situation? Well, if somebody is is not living in a habitable situation uh, um, that uh, it's not met met for human habitation, um, then um, that means homeless in HUD's definitions. And um, some people think that maybe a hotel room is not that way either. However, if they're paying for it, they're actually paying rent. Right. So that kind of takes them out of the HUD definition that we can give them assistance for. Mm -hmm. Trudy's program is... um, receives some HUD funding, so she's bound to that. Now, the cold weather shelter that we have, we're all private funded. Okay. So Where is that funding coming from? Just private funding, churches, uh, organizations, and things in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're not as as strapped to the definition as what Trudy is. And we work together. Um, A lot of people think that uh, uh, SCAP is SCAP and Maranatha is Maranatha, but we work together like partners mm-hmm. in, in helping the individuals that she can't house mm-hmm. or, or some that I can't mm-hmm. pull in right away. And I, her and I have dialogue <clears throat> throughout the seasons many times mm-hmm. about people that we can help together, sure. try to figure out a better place. So the cold weather shelter, it has a start date and an end date. Is that correct? Correct. And what are those dates and what are they kind of contingent upon? December 1st is our opening and april 1st is our closing Mm -hmm. and then it goes beyond that to what's called the federal code blue laws federal code blue laws mean that if there's three consecutive days of 32 degrees or below it constitutes code blue okay which then we can open earlier or close later depending on those sure so um and and the reason we we only operate in the winter months is because that's our mission statement. Because uh, we were working with um, a, a gentleman back in 2003 that passed away because we couldn't find him. He was outside and he, he froze. Okay. So, so what we did was we had, had a location in our food pantry that was empty, and we decided to refurbish that, make it a cold-weather drop-in shelter, and lease it to a board of churches that runs the cold weather shelter. Okay. And um, we lease it to them for $1 a year. Okay. And my dad gets angry if he doesn't get that dollar. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about the, the homeless population in Chambersburg. 
Um, I guess we'll start with you, Trudy. Uh, okay. You know, tell us what you're seeing. What kind of individuals are coming and presenting needs? Well, the majority I've seen come in, I'd say the past two years, are getting younger. Mm-hmm. 18 to 24, 25, 26, and through there. Some are single parents. Um, some have just burnt their bridges with their families. Mm-hmm. Um a little bit of across the board with anything substance abuse issues sure. that's a big one um very limited life skills yeah you you mentioned that in our conversation yesterday mm-hmm. that and i think you were getting to the point of some of these people have been institutionalized for right. so long Let, right let's talk about that i mean is it become your jobs to kind of you know give them these life skills well, they don't want us doing it in-house. We used to do life skills in-house, I'm sure. I guess you did too, Craig, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I was telling you yesterday, we've been flip-flopped on our heads to operate the way we used to. It was like I was going full steam the way we used to operate, and then all of a sudden the brakes pull, and you're slammed up against a wall because you're upside down. Everything we had come to know is no longer permitted basically now when did this start uh, craig when did the about 40 Two, 2015 15. around okay so. so you got a whole new set of rules yeah and it, it really yeah. inverted your process i had to re- redo the entire program paperwork everything to um comply with the grant guidelines and the people would come and go to the life skills and even if it was basic cleaning because you'd be surprised how many people don't know how to properly clean or do laundry or depending on um their capabilities whether it's mental health or if they just weren't taught yeah and those little things really helped a lot because once they got into a place at least i know they would have known at least you keep the place clean or and if you've never operated, you know, let's say... Or never even had an apartment. That was the worst part. Yeah, you've you know? never operated a washer dryer. You're going to look right. at it like, I don't know what I'm doing We here. did have some people that didn't know how to do right. that. For Yeah. And so you were told, uh, skip the life skills. Right, right. What's the rush in their program to get them into housing as opposed to kind of prepare them? Um, because they want the preparation afterward. That's the problem. A landlord... And we've already run into that. If you don't have any kind of stable income, they don't. They will not rent to you. Well, why would they? It's a business. Right. And they want to see pay stubs. And we can cajole, cajole all we want to. And it's not going to work because nobody's going to do it this way. And then the caseworker, which is me in this case, I'm doing two jobs. I have to go in and, and keep making sure that they're trying to, to get employment. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, you're walking in the fine line between losing a landlord if they don't get the employment or enabling to the point. Now, this is how I see it. This is my opinion. Enabling them to the point where the motivation to get a job is because, ah, oh, Trudy will pay a percentage or, or whatever. And that can't be because I only have X amount of dollars to get me through mm-hmm. the grant period. And it works in some ways. In other ways, there's much to be desired. Mm-hmm. And just just so, so you understand, and, and, and Trudy's a straight shooter, and that, that's the way 
that it has to be. Right. You know, I, I sit as a secretary of the advisory board for the continuum of care, and I've seen all these changes come through. And, you know, I, I love Trudy because she's just straightforward, and, and, and that's it's important. I've been straightforward too, but what, what has happened is you've seen the, the thing is to get to zero homelessness. Right. Now, what zero homelessness means is not that, that you don't see anybody out on the streets homeless. It means that everybody has a place to go right. if they seek help. That's what zero homelessness means. Mm-hmm. So you might see that the state says, oh, Pennsylvania's now got to zero homelessness and be confused because you see homeless people on the streets. Doesn't mean that we don't have any homeless. It means that everybody has a place to go. Right. And, that, and that's the definition of that. The community queue that she was speaking about is an important, vital part of getting to zero homelessness. Because if somebody calls the 211 system, then everybody that receives HUD funding has an opportunity to pull them off of the queue and help them and assist them and get them where they need to be. Mm-hmm. So another component of that is the veterans. The veterans are now at zero homelessness in the state of Pennsylvania. Okay. It just got determined. Uh, wow, that's great. So, so that's going to be coming out here um, within the next few weeks. We just got the email yesterday. And um, what that means is that every veteran has somewhere to go if they get in touch with that 211 community queue system, mm-hmm. we can get them placed. Mm-hmm. Now, is your institution, are you kind of straight-jacketed as well with your processes? or In, in, you... in certain areas, okay. but in certain areas I'm not. The Candlehart program, we used to receive a grant of $240,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Well, we were transitional housing. Transitional housing was determined... <laughs> by the last administration to be too costly, which I do understand that okay. because we did all the life skills and training and things like that. And most of the money that we were uh, putting towards services was pretty high. You know, the, 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 the rates were pretty high. So they, they figured that if we house the people, then we can do that same type of case management in their home. So um, that's why they got rid of transitional housing. We lost that grant. So we've had to adapt mm-hmm. to losing that grant. Now we have contracts with the county for reentry for people that are coming out of prison that don't have a home plan. Mm-hmm. And we have a contract through the VA for the veterans that we serve. And um, that helps fund our building and, and, and take care of our operating cost. But most of the money, what people don't understand, most of the money that you receive, like Trudy gets money coming in, and somebody could look at her program and say, man, they get all this money coming in. They should be able to do things. Well, 75 to 90% of that money is to be used on services, not staffing. So then the extra money that she needs to raise pays for the staffing. So when HUD pays you $100,000, you only receive 80000 Okay. So then Trudy has to raise that 20000 and the 20000 that she raises is supposed to go towards operating costs. So the services, <clears throat> describe what that would mean, where that money would end up going. That's the problem. Everything, the majority was rolled into rapid rehousing money strictly for that. You can't use it for operations, nothing. And this is how I feel. What they want all of us to do, including Craig and everybody that's involved in this and, and is doing it this way, 
It's impossible when you don't have the manpower to pull it off. Like I said, I'm one person. Right. Ideally, it should be pretty much two programs. The shelter, and then when you're ready to be housed, you move into the rapid rehousing program. And that's in an ideal world. And they it turned everybody into cutting back staff. Right. Mm-hmm. Also... More man hours, more responsibilities for nothing, for free. Yeah, when you get into this business, it's 24-7. There's yep. no there's no, no punching in the clock and then leaving. Right. Uh, Trudy and I, at the levels that we're at, <clears throat> we work 24-7. Mm-hmm. I haven't received a paycheck in a year because I make sure that my staff's being paid. Because the way HUD did things, <clears throat> cutting back on operational costs... I just haven't received a check in a year. I'm not complaining because I'm serving the Lord, and that's how I feel about it. But it's it, if somebody, if I was gone and somebody was to apply for my position, there's no money to pay for the position right. that, that I do. And Trudy's in the same boat. She puts in more time than she gets paid for. It's sure. the kind of perennial <clears throat> do more with less and right. burnout. That's Situation. another thing. You're going to lose right. staff with burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I told you yesterday, it's all outcome based. Mm-hmm. And that's the scary part. Well, they want metrics. They want numbers. Something yep. that they feel is tangible, where the, the intangibles of you know healing people mm-hmm. are much more complicated. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the factors that drive homelessness. Uh, let's start out with the mental health component. Um, as we were discussing yesterday, there's a severe lack of available services for mental health in Franklin County. So how do you go about addressing that in your individual um, setups? Well, I think I think one of the good things that that started in Franklin County a couple of years ago was service access management, because they are kind of like navigators mm-hmm. for people with mental health, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've seen the same thing, Trudy. That that's been a, that's been a plus. But what happens is, I mean, you have so many disconnects in the mental health community. I'll give you an example. We have a guy that I have to leave here when I leave here to go <clears throat> to the hospital to sign for this gentleman to go into a nursing home because he has no family members, he has nobody, but they know I've been working with him. But he has had a mental health issue out on the streets for the past five years. Mm -hmm. And we've been unable to get him the help that he needs because he's homeless. He's not living anywhere. They can't meet him somewhere. They doesn't have a phone. He's just sleeping under benches. So um, if they don't go out and find him, he's not going to get the mental health help that he needs. Mm-hmm. And so now he's at the point where he is, his mind being uh, schizophrenic and also delusional at times has put him in the hospital from a, a police escort. Did and he injure himself or was he a danger to someone? Or? They weren't sure because he, he was confused. So they took him to the hospital. He's been in the hospital for uh, a week and a half now. And um, they just called me. They finally got, because he received his Social Security benefits, because I walked him through that to get his Social Security benefits, now he has an income to help with a nursing home. So now it's just a process of, of you've got to figure out how to navigate through the system to get these people the help that they want. So, and that brings us to something we discussed yesterday about mandatory uh, retainment. I think you said it's a 302? 302. Right. Let's talk about that because, you know, this is a situation where if someone is not mentally well, 
they need a custodian or someone to come mm-hmm. along and say, look, your, your judgment's gone. You need to go and seek services. Is this something that, you know, should be happening? Do you agree, disagree? or? Well, yeah, but that also has some strings to it, too. Right. I mean, I, can't, I, I tried to get a man um, committed a couple years ago, and um, because he was not a threat to himself or anybody else, <clears throat> nothing could happen. Well, one night he called me in the middle of the night, and he said, um, thank God trains weren't coming through at that time. He said, I'm on the railroad tracks, and I'm going to, I'm going to um, just jump out in front of a train. I can't deal with this anymore. So I contacted the police department, got my vehicle, went out looking for him. They found him, and I was able to sign um, a 302 at the hospital. But they were kind of pressing me because you're not a psychiatrist. You're not in the psychiatric field. They were pushing back on taking him in. Yeah, because I wasn't a mental health uh, certified person. So that's what we run into all the time. Trudy, you probably run into that as well because we are not in the mental health arena as certified psychiatrists or, I mean, I've got a background there. I've got schooling in psychology. I've been on the streets helping these people out for years. I've probably got more experience right. with this. Just don't have the paperwork. But I don't have the paperwork. Right. So those are some of the barriers that we run into in trying to get somebody committed. That seems like a very <clears throat> low standard. You know, they're not a danger to other people themselves. I mean, if they're, say, they're schizophrenic and it's 22 degrees and they're outside, they're a danger to themselves. Right. So the relationship with the police, how do you guys work together to kind of keep the homeless community safe? They work well with us. Yeah, uh, us yeah. too. We've always had a good relationship yeah. with them. They mm-hmm. they know me and Trudy, and they know that they can call us at any time if they have somebody. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, they work really well with us. And, and they... Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. Trudy, Trudy's uh, location is probably different than ours, but uh, because we don't, we take everybody that comes through our front door at the cold weather shelter. We have an agreement with the police department that if they need to see somebody, they can sit, stand on the mat, and if they see the person, they can ask them to come over and talk to them. Okay. But they can't take them out of our building, which they respect that. And um, if they have a warrant for somebody, they'll they'll get in touch with me. And communicate with me, and I'll try to help the guy with the warrant or the gal with the warrant to right. make sure it's taken care of. And they, they don't press our shelter that much, and they cooperate very well with, with us. Mm-hmm. I, that's, all, that's what I can say for us. Yeah. Yep. Which yeah. brings us kind of around to the next uh, situation for homeless people would be drug addiction. And um, as we were discussing yesterday, I guess uh, heroin is um, the drug of choice for the homeless. And, you know, how do you address those situations where you've got somebody who's, you know, clearly got a problem but reaching out? Well, the rapid rehousing program, the housing first, we have to operate now. Even before they're in any kind of rehabilitation program, they need to get into a house. Housing first says you house them first. Low barrier, not no barrier shelters, but low barrier. There's some places in what, like Philadelphia toward there, Mm -hmm. they actually have um, a room where you can go sleep it off or if you're inebriated or and dump your drugs in the drawer, whatever you have. We don't want to see them and then get them when you leave, which I find really almost humorous. The federal government sets the drug laws, Right. right? 
the shelter is receiving federal funds. Now, can somebody explain that to me? (laughs) I'm sure there's a bureaucrat somewhere with... I'm sure there could, and I wouldn't buy it either, but I'm sure I'd like to at least hear it. But, yeah. A lot of the things that we deal with, you know, if I have somebody at my uh, cold weather shelter that drops in... Um, I have, through our Maranatha Ministries, and I think you do at SCAP too, we have certified recovery specialists that uh, have been certified in the state of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a certified family recovery specialist, so I deal with families that are dealing with addicted people. Mm -hmm. So um, there's areas in our community that we can get them in for assistance. Mm -hmm. We can um, talk to the DA's office or there's the drug court. Mm-hmm. That would, you know, if they, there's any crime involved with it, uh, they navigate through that. Um, there's Noah's house and Gracie's house that that help out. Uh, Candleheart has, I guess, sixteen of the or fourteen of the sixteen people we have there right now are in recovery. Mm-hmm. So we outsource those to PA counseling, um, Pyramid, you know, Roxbury, places like that to help them with their addiction mm-hmm. component. And then we still work on their life skills and things like that. So, And how do you kind of police that within the shelter and your cold weather shelter? How do you kind of try to keep that element out? Well, my cold weather shelter is less policing. Candleheart is more policing. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. We're kind of like a Candleheart is, I always tell the residents that come in, if you're on parole and probation, we're like a medium security building. Okay. So jail is your full security. Right. Um, you have a little bit more freedom with Candleheart, but you're still in a program. So this is kind of like a medium security jail. Right. You know that we allow them to go to work. We allow them to do things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, we have drug tests daily. We have okay. Uh, that'll do it. Yeah, we, drug test and random drug tests, and it, it, we choose three at a time. So. Um, you know, that, that happens in our program. Um, we, Do you drug test as well for residents? We used to. But you don't anymore? No. It's expensive. It's expensive, and also they don't want you to do that either. However, to maintain control, and they don't, I don't think they like that word, but you have to have control. You have to have some rules. Or right, guess sure. what? You know, society doesn't operate. You become lawless. and. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just insanity. So we operate by schedule. And if you're using, that's well and good. It's not my business. It's your business. However, you're not using on our property. Yeah. And then if they would come in, I look at the behavior. We have one small hall. That's it. It's coming and going. And the rooms are there. You can hear everything that's going down that hallway. So if the behavior is disruptive, you know, there's some people that well, we haven't honestly had trouble with this. Well, I just tell them straight up, if you're going to do it. You're not doing it here. Right. And that's it. But some will. I can tell if somebody's had a couple drinks. Mm-hmm. It's just such a narrow bridge to walk what the government wants. And you're not going to get any money to continue operating and if you don't do this, 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 or this, and then on the other side, how do you balance everything that is fair to everybody, staff, mm-hmm. the safety of the neighborhood, the safety of the other clients? 
this is where this hey i have a right to do this but you don't and i have a real problem with that Mm -hmm. is it possible if i could is it possible like the statistic you just gave us about zero percent veterans homelessness in pa it almost seems like that's what they're trying to force you to achieve i feel like we're being working ourselves out of jobs because the government wants they have this wondrous idea that they're going to end homelessness in 10 years that was like what 20 years ago maybe i don't know their end game is to close shelters mm-hmm. that's what they want mm-hmm. i think they're I, it's I think, not gonna happen i think their end game is that statistic is yeah. zero homelessness they zero. can say we have zero homeless zero. and not really understand but you it's know. out of sight out of mind exactly. and 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 what happens often is is the east coast here northern east coast um, we're the ones that lose out all the time for HUD funding as well. Why is that? Um, because if you if you do the point in, the point in time count to count all the homeless outside mm-hmm. is done in January. Okay, the reason why is it started in California. Okay. Okay. Where so it's sixty eight degrees. Where it's sixty eight degrees outside. Mm-hmm. So when we do our count here. In the winter, there's people that we can't find because they're in a storage shed mm-hmm. with a heater. Yeah, they're um, in people's backyards, in their their garages, things like that. We can try to find as many as we can, but I mean, with with a one day count, you have one day. We have one day one to day. count this. What's the hurry? Well, they they want it on one day of the year. That's it. So. For for me and Trudy and the the few that go out with us to go out and knock on every storage it's not gonna happen. door to see if there's a homeless person in there, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. So our numbers are always lower, which, which shows in the HUD percentages of payout because California gets more money than anybody, and out in the in the southern part of the states they get more money than anybody, but on the uh, on the cold weather side of january yeah less money goes to all those states and i've been speaking to washington dc about this i've been speaking to a lot of people about this they just will not change now i did get some uh feedback and they started a summer count uh, a couple years ago from my barking (laughs) barking and barking and barking what you got to do but they don't count that as a homeless count. It's just a statistic to throw out. Now, let's talk about, you know, advocacy at, in Harrisburg or in D.C. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any? Is yes. It, and and how, what form does that take? Well, uh, Homeless Alliance, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're a big advocate program. Um, so they have days in Harrisburg, days in Washington, D.C. I've been to the Washington, D.C. one many occasions of course mm-hmm. that gives me an an uh an avenue to go back home where, where i'm from sure, so, sure. so i take that advantage of that one a lot but uh you know we get to speak on uh on in senate um get to speak in the house and things like that and talk to the we go around and talk to all the representatives but it's it's a one day meet and greet and give all your information out and ask for their support in the hud funding and things like that so mm-hmm. But we never really get down to the nitty-gritty on what the issues are. Right, like your count issue, right. which would be revolutionary. Right. 
That's interesting. So they shake your hand, they smile, they say thank you, and then mm-hmm. they go on with their day. Right. It doesn't seem like a problem people are all that really interested in solving. Um, and it also seems like they're trying to push, as you're saying, you out of business and force you to pick up the slack. So mm-hmm. if the her shelter closed, could you handle? No. Yeah, that's no. the reality of it. That is the reality of it, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and we've... Like I said, you know, working in unison with with Scap and Trudy, it, it's a it's a blessing yeah. to be able to be partners in what we do all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the community looks at us as as you know, competition against each other, but we don't look at it they that do. way. They do. They should just automatically think Why? we're grubbing for a penny, and yeah. that's not how we work. I don't work like that with anybody. No, yeah. you know. Yeah. So let's move on to uh, transitioning people um, into housing, into employment. Um, how do you go about that? If you've got somebody, let's say they're, you know, maybe out of an institution or something where they've got to check that box on the employment form. How do you work with them to get them employed? You, I'll let Trudy go first. You just opened she, up another can of worms. She's making a, a face of struggle. <laughs> <laughs> there are some felon-friendly employers, um, very few, very low, basically service jobs. Um now, by service job, oh, dishwashing. Yeah. And, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, and we have we have uh, one of the biggest issues in this county is temporary jobs. So I did mean to bring that up because you mentioned the employment agencies are kind of a, that was my a, next. a bad actor yeah. in this situation. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So so what what happens is I'll give you one example that'll give you a good example of how things work. I had a uh, gentleman come through our Candlehart program. And he went through a temporary agency and worked at a, a company in this area. And when he was working for that company, he worked 84 days and got laid off. Going past 90, you, you have to pay them benefits yeah. and bring yeah. them on as an employee. So they told him that he did a great job, no issues with him. They're going to hire him back for a second time. So they hired him back for a second time. He went another 84 days. They laid him off again. Pernicious. So they said three times is a charm because after the third time, the staffing agency can't send them back to that job if they lose their job again. It's a policy. So they said after the third time, we'll hire you. So he got all the way to 89 days. They laid him off, and now he has to go out and start all over again looking for a job. And that's one of the big issues that we have in this community is – Companies aren't hiring people, they're hiring temp agencies. Right. And, 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 you know, you look at the unemployment numbers that they're not really true because people are employed, yes. They're underemployed. But they're not employed for a career. Right. They're not employed for long term and longevity. So that must be discouraging to the people you're working with. They think they're getting there and then they get their feet swept out and what do they do? I mean... You just keep pushing them forward? I can't tell you how many people have told me, and Trudy, you've probably heard this as well, that I'm just leaving the area because there's no no full-time jobs. Because they feel used. They feel used. They are. No, they are being used. And not only that, once you get them housed, they're going to lose it. Mm -hmm. So what we were talking about yesterday about Wall Street's pushing this and all this and that, and it's bottom-line greed, but um, they're contributing to homelessness. Mm-hmm. Like I told you, I've been lived here 66 years, 
you went into the grove manufacturing like i told you yesterday you had a job for life till you retired as an apprentice you started out landis machine company tool sure. company in waynesboro you didn't have to worry about a job but your grandfather worked there your father worked there you worked there maybe even one of your kids worked there all that is gone mm-hmm. because of temp agencies now now in in full disclosure there are some temp agencies that aren't like that very that, few that, but very few there's mm-hmm. a, there's a few out there that that try to really and one that I can think of, and I don't know if I can mention their name. It's up to you. Yeah, Manpower. Okay. They they have been an advocate of getting people hired onto companies. Mm-hmm. So so they they it's one of the oldest ones around, mm-hmm. and they they work to make sure that people get hired on. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the companies that I like to refer people to a lot because sure. because they work work hard in making sure that people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, employable before they even place them mm-hmm. and then place them so um mm-hmm. but but and there may be a few others out there that that i'm not aware of but i know that when i send somebody to manpower they're probably going to get a career do you ever send the people straight to the company yes yes, yes. it just doesn't work they say go to the go temp to the agent. temp agency well some yeah. actually have their own the temp agencies inside the yeah. building mm-hmm. right there is at least one that i know of that mm-hmm. has and you don't get past them unless you. There are some companies that I've seen. Some of the people that I work with, that if they know somebody is has a good work ethic, and they reach out to them and pull them in, they'll hire them from within. Because mm-hmm. they have the discretion whether they can hire somebody or not. Yeah. So, but see, if you don't have to pay for HR, right? Why pay for it? Right. Yeah, you know, there's a number of benefits to not actually hiring these right. people on. So I want to cover one more broad topic. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, COC, continuum of care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we could just talk about what that means in terms of, you know, treating the homeless and, you know, getting them on to the next phase of life. Okay. Go ahead, Craig. He's into this heavy. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. so the, the COC is a continuum of care. And each year, um, HUD sends them a NOFA, which is Notice um, of Funding Allocation. Okay. Okay. So in that Notice of Funding Allocation, you have uh, parameters on what people can apply for. Okay. So the rapid rehousing is one of them. That's one of the major pushes this year. Um, Coordinated Entry, which is the 211 system and some permanent supportive housing programs. And that NOFA says, okay, this is what HUD wants to fund in this 33-county geographical area. Okay. So anybody that wants to apply, go ahead and apply for this type of funding. So then it goes out to all of the agencies that want to apply, Trudy's agency, our agency, other agencies in the 33 counties and um, and then that gets sent to a board level which which I'm on and then it gets sent to a funding committee there's a funding committee that looks at all of the people that applied and looks at pluses and balances and ranks them and things like that then it has to come back to the advisory board to vote on for uh, the whole application there is one 
person that applies for it, and it's Diana T. Myers and Associates. So they apply for everybody. So we apply to Diana T. Myers, they put it all together, then they apply as a whole for all 33 different counties, okay. which helps our, our strengthen our application. Okay. Um, if, if, if I or Trudy, we can apply by ourselves, but the chances of us getting funded is a lot less because there's a master application process with all 33 different counties, which helps get our funding. Okay. And we've been pretty successful with that. That's great. All this bureaucracy, it, it's mind-numbing. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I'm just, uh, when, when you talk about these layers, I'm just seeing all this money. Yeah. Just going out the window, mm-hmm. you know, where, as, where it should be going to more direct care. And, and Trudy can tell you, just for, for us, um, I'm, I'm a loudmouth when it comes to, to the COC. I don't sugarcoat it. I tell people how I feel. And just like the conversation that we've had here today, is how I am in front of all these people. I get knocked down from time to time, and I get people to tell me to shut up, but you know what? I'm fighting for the person we serve, not right. for us. Right. And and knowing all of this and, and you know, being the co-chair for eight different counties and advocate for eight different counties mm-hmm. in our regional area, I, I'm the, co- I'm the ch- chairperson for that as well. I listen, Trudy can tell you, I listen to what all of our grantees want mm-hmm. and I also listen to the people on the streets and what they need mm-hmm. and I go to bat and I might get pushed away might get tried to be censored but people know that when I'm sitting at the table they're going to hear from me yeah and I don't have a problem doing that well you're both straight shooters and I think that's required well yeah. like I told you yesterday they the people that sit and hey this looks really good on paper they're human beings yeah yeah I guess um as a wrap-up question to this conversation um you know what ideally would you need to do what you need to do i mean i know money's a component of course but would it be staff what would it be yeah more people involved with what we do um volunteer or staff but a lot of times and i know this is i hate to say this but it's true is the money right you know i i figured we have a population of about 153,000 in Franklin County. Mm-hmm. If Trudy and I got a thousand people each to pay twenty dollars a month, that'd be twenty thousand dollars a month to yeah, be able to right. for both, but only a thousand people. So, yeah. if we got people to donate twenty dollars a month, that would go a long way to be able to help staff people to fight this cause. All right, so let's do something right now. You have a website you want to give out or a place where they can go to donate or volunteer? Let's do that. Okay, uh, I have a website that uh, it's Cross and Crown will be releasing it next week. Okay. Um, and it is uh, maranathaministryinc.com. Okay. And then Trudy's scap.org. Scap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll have um, the different service lines where you can donate and we're always like Craig uh, we have to take care of them and provide them with everything and it's trash bags and cleaning stuff and it's yeah. just like this every day yeah. disinfect, clean just the basic things like paper towels, all that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. um, I go for supplies but when you have a lot of people and you have to clean and keep things 
So can people just go Bring to them. the shelter and Bring drop them. off a donation? Yeah, yeah. Craig Same needs thing for you. Uh, okay. What did you need? You you short of for the gloves. cold weather we were gloves, short of gloves. And underwear? Was it underwear? Yeah, some underwear. Yeah. Um, things that you'd expect just people basic. That's basic not even things. yeah. Right. That doesn't understand what we do sure you just automatically think people have what they have and sometimes it's only what they have on their backs right you yeah. know let's give out your addresses so if anybody does want to uh stop by what is your address Ours is 223 south main street okay, two- in chambersburg and um we're right up from the capitol theater across okay. from washington street uh like the fifth place up on your right but we're open 24 7 so okay. And then your address, Craig? Is 195 West Loudon Street. Okay. And, um, um, yeah, a lot of people just, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. My cell phone number is 717-830-3487. Okay. Because I bounce around so much that if somebody calls me, I can I can meet them down there if I'm not there. So. Okay, great. Great. Well, listen, that's all the time we have today, but I want to thank you both so much for coming here to discuss this important topic. Um, I think we had a great conversation. I know I personally learned a lot. So, well, thank you. Thank you for having us. No problem. I'm going to throw it to you, Jeremy. I've got nothing. Just thanks a lot for coming. Thanks a lot yeah. for having me. Um, I guess I could say uh, look for the Progress Pod at uh, progresspod.org and send us an email with show ideas or anything you'd like to talk about. Uh, with us progresspod at gmail.com all right thanks thank you thanks